0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm a little thrown off today because Stephen Hamm is not in his seat. Have y'all noticed that? I don't really, I mean, yeah. Okay. I'm going to feel better. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, you can't. Like, spend 18 years of your life in one seat, and then just on a Sunday, go sit with Jim Mitts. It doesn't work, like, none of this works. Jim, are you going to be okay without Stephen with you? Okay. Yeah, Stephen, God bless you, man. Were you just feeling uh, like doing a little something different today? Yeah. Well, you can, but warn me. Let, let me know <laughs> that, that that is coming. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called What God Expects of Everyday People. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're memorizing Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. How's it going? Nobody, nobody's making eye contact with me, so I know how it's going. Is anybody working on it? Anybody trying? Yeah, okay, I'm trying. They say this, you know, helps ward off Alzheimer's or something, so I'm trying to use my brain. You know, it's weird. I can memorize stuff without trying to. Like, I can quote most of the movie Nacho Libre <laughs> without even thinking about it, but then the Ten Commandments I really have to work on, uh, I really, really do. Uh, I haven't even set them for Casey yet. We haven't even practiced at home. Uh, we, need, we need to do better um, but anyway, let, let's try it this morning. I'm not going to try to say it without looking at my Bible yet. We still got, what, four weeks? Uh, so I'll take full advantage of that. You can too. But, but let's work on it. I encourage you to memorize God's Word, and this is uh, as good a place to start as any. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, which I always do. Uh, but I've, in the past, spent so much time in the King James that when I try to memorize anything, I memorize New Living and it comes out some kind of combination of King James and New Living, which is complicated. It's all okay. I I just want to get it exactly right. But let's do it together. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. If you've got the New Living translation in front of you, go ahead and and read out loud with me, and that way you'll get used to hearing your voice uh, say the words. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, The whole family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a day... I'm sorry, I was trying to say it. I've messed up the whole church. Uh, (laughs) You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, Your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigner, keep going, (laughs) living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor." Yeah, this is going to be rough. Um, sorry I messed y'all up. Y'all are doing good when I let you read it. I mean, y'all acting like y- y'all are superior, but y'all were reading that. Uh, I-, I was trying to. Uh, this morning, uh, the sixth commandment, uh, thou shalt not kill, you must not murder. Um, incidentally, those words are are distinctive, and the commandment is is about murder. You must not murder. Uh, There are two words in the Hebrew language, just like in English. The Hebrew language has a word for to kill. It's a more general word and has a word for murder. And the Hebrew word in the Ten Commandments is about murder. Thou shalt not. You must not murder. So we're talking about killing. It's interesting when people say, yeah, Pastor Tim, I'm a good person. I live by the Ten Commandments. This is usually the commandment they're talking about. Right right here. Because you're thinking, I'm a pretty good person. I ain't killed nobody today. I mean, that's kind of where we draw the bar. And most people think that, you know, if I don't kill anybody, you know, that, that therefore I'm, I'm a good person. Uh, but this commandment, like all the others, goes much deeper than that. So let's talk about what uh, the sixth commandment uh, requires us to do and also forbids us from doing. You must not murder. You'll probably get some comfort in the fact that the U.S. government uh, values your life. They really do. They, They really do. Actually, the federal government assigns an actual dollar value to your life and mine. They have to. They say they have to. The federal government makes a lot of laws and regulations, all kinds of rules that are supposed to protect health and public safety, right? And so they have calculations to make to decide whether or not a regulation is actually worth the cost, and so they have to sort of figure out whether it's worth the cost based on the number of lives that will be saved. You know, for example, if they're talking about putting, uh, requiring backup cameras in a minivan, in all minivans, for, for example, they have to try to calculate if the cost of all of those cameras and all of those vans is worth what they would save in lives lost. For example, you know, so you don't back over somebody in your van. So they have to figure out what is the value of a life, Is it encouraging or creepy that our government actually thinks this thing through? So in the 80s, the figure was about, can you guess? The 1980s, the U.S. government calculated that a human life was worth $300,000. $300,000 in the 80s. Some of you are starting to realize that, yeah, your life has appreciated. You're worth more now than you were then. Uh, But in the 80s, a life was considered to be worth about $300,000. They based that figure on the amount of money that you might earn by working. And then somebody said, you know, you can't really reduce a life to just, you know, the, the, the amount of money a person can earn at work. Certainly our lives are worth more than just what we can earn at work. And so the federal government looked back and revised that figure. So they revised that figure to something like eight hundred thousand dollars. So you got a raise and didn't even know it. You're worth a little bit more. Eventually they recalculated. They've refigured that they decided that that wasn't enough either. So that they've continued to raise the number. At the present day, would you like to know what the U.S. government says you're worth? Ten million dollars. Yeah. Yeah you're worth $10 million. I mean, you know, like, I don't know exactly where we could get that money for you, but, but, but $10 million is considered to be the rate. And, and, and that, 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 that's, a, that's a real figure. For example, when the government was trying to calculate if it would be worth it to shut down the entire economy in the COVID crisis, that's the figure that they used. They calculated that if we could save, say, a million lives, which is what President Trump said, if we could save a million lives by shutting down the economy, and each life is worth what? $10 million, then if we save a million lives at $10 million apiece, that is how much? Yeah, something like $10 trillion, a trillion, 10, I don't really know how much a trillion is. Like $10 trillion was what they would save, uh, which is just amazing, and they calculated that 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 was worth it, the life saved at $10 million for a human life. Does that figure sound like a lot of money? Does it sound like not much money? I don't know. But like most things that our government does, in my opinion, they've missed the point. They've completely missed the point for the simple reason that when you start talking about what a human life is worth, the question you have to ask is, worth to whom? To whom? Who gets to say what a human life is worth? And this is what you have to understand. Your life is valuable, not because the US government says it's valuable. Your life is valuable, not because of what you can earn at work. Your life is valuable, not because other people depend upon you and you got grandkids and all of that. Your life is valuable for one reason and one reason primarily, because God says you're valuable. Your life is valuable because God says you're you're valuable. You live your life before God. I do too. Every single person on the planet Earth who's ever lived, who's ever died, they lived and died before the Lord. Our lives are valuable because the Lord says that they are valuable. So the sixth commandment is probably the one commandment that nearly everybody knows, and most all of us assume that we live and always keep because we ain't killed nobody today, right? You must not murder. What exactly is this verse talking about? Obviously, we're talking about the taking of human life. This verse forbids us to preside over or to plan the killing of another human being. Thou shalt not murder thou shalt not kill. Now the Old Testament in other places does allow killing under certain circumstances, under self-defense or under national defense. You do see that the nation Israel defending itself in war in the Old Testament. So there are specific situations in the Old Testament where certain killing could be permissible. But as a rule, murder is forbidden. You must not Plan or preside over the killing of another person. You must not murder. The, the bottom line is, and the critical point to remember, is that every single person is sacred. Every person is sacred. Life itself is a gift, you all. It's a gift. It is a gift from the Lord God above. And the fact is, God and God alone has the right to give life and to take it away. That is just not something that any one of us can do. God alone has the right to give life and to take it away. Thou shalt not kill, in some ways, it's just so universal that if you ask a person, you know, why, why is it that we we should not kill? I mean, most people wouldn't even be able to answer the question because it just seems so self-evident. We, we don't do that. Life belongs to God. The, the scripture says that the Lord God made the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into them. And that man became a, a, a living soul. The, the breath in your lungs is, is borrowed breath. It's borrowed from God himself. I mean, do you understand? Life is sacred. Human life is is sacred. And you could say $10 million, that sounds like a lot of money, but I'm telling you that that doesn't even begin to capture the worth of a single person in God's eyes. We live and we die before him. And so it's simply not our prerogative. It is never in my power, never in your authority to say that another person should live or that another person should die. And I think that universally we all agree with this. It just makes sense. It's just the, the, the most obvious thing in all of the world that, that we can't murder, that, that we cannot take another life. And as I say, it's absolutely uncontroversial. Except in our day and age. I, I mean, honestly. And, and when it comes to the sanctity of life, the sanctity of human life, it, it's one of the principles that is most up for grabs these days. But primarily when it comes to the issue of abortion, Abortion, of course, is the killing of a baby still growing inside his mother's womb. And in our, in our culture, nearly in the entire world these days, that's becoming less and less controversial because people have just decided that that should be a matter of choice, that a woman should have that ability, that they call it reproductive freedom. woman should have that freedom to, to end the life of a baby that's growing within her. I just say that I really don't believe that any person has that choice. God and God alone has the right to give life and to take life away. It just seems self-evident. You understand, that baby doesn't have life because its mother chooses to give that baby life. That baby has life because God has chosen to knit that child together in the mother's womb. This is God's choice, not our choice. So even today, it becomes controversial because you start trying to draw lines and and figure out when a life becomes a life or when a life has its value. And I'm telling you, that life has its value because God says it has value, not because any one of us says that it has value. God alone has a right to give life and to take it away. And you're saying amen and everybody agrees because that just seems plain. It, it, It just seems plain. But like all of the other commandments and all the other weeks as, we, as we've been in this, in, in this series, understand, it's the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus that helps us understand what the Old Testament law is about. The Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments, were never given to us as a plan of salvation. You don't earn your way to heaven by not killing people, y'all. I don't encourage you to start. But understand, that's not how we get to heaven. That's not what the Ten Commandments are for. And like all of the other commandments, the Sixth Commandment is deepened and transformed by the teachings and gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, let's not just talk about what the Sixth Commandment forbids us from doing. We all just agreed on that. We're not going to kill each other. But I think that the sixth commandment goes further than that because of the gospel of Jesus, because of the example of Jesus. It also requires some things of us. So let's talk about that. It's right there in the scripture, verse 13. In the Hebrew, it's really only two words, uh, you must not murder. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, this is what Jesus says. The thief's purpose, he's talking about the devil, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So stop right there. The thief's purpose is to kill. Jesus says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus' own words. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. So anytime you see stealing, killing, destruction, understand this is the devil's work. It's always the devil's work. But Jesus is setting his purpose up and over against the purposes of evil. And this is what he says My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus says in the old King James, My, my, my aim is to give them life and to give it abundantly. So understand, the lines are very clearly drawn. The the side of evil, the side of the devil, is on the side of stealing, killing, and destruction. So anywhere you see killing, that's the devil's work. I mean, I say this over and over, but people never seem to really hear it when I say it. Whenever you see stealing, killing, and destruction, that's the devil's work. So when somebody you love dies of cancer, You can't get mad at God about that, you understand? Because killing is the devil's work. Whenever you see senseless destruction, the the, the loss of life, that's always the devil's work. Jesus' purpose is to give us life, to give us life. So Christ is on the side of life, which means we're on the side of life. But recognize what Jesus says here. It's not just that Jesus wants to see everybody live, which he does. And it's not just that the life he gives us is eternal life, because it is. But notice that Jesus is also very, very committed to a quality of life for everybody. He calls it abundant life. The New Living Translation says it's a rich and satisfying life. But it's not just that Jesus wants to give everybody just the basic gift of life. He wants them to have a quality of life. He wants them to flourish and to thrive. You understand? Uh, Abundant life. It's certainly a spiritual quality of life. It certainly is. But make no mistake, it's also a physical quality of life, an emotional quality of life. And and this is where I think most of us really haven't quite understood yet what it means to say that every life is sacred. I'm very committed to what I would call a a, a pro-life life Ethic. I, I really do believe that life is sacred. I, I really, really do. But I believe that life is sacred from womb to tomb. From womb to tomb. And, and I'm not going to get political, y'all, because y'all know I, just, I don't do that in, in, the, in the pulpit. But, but, but let me just tell you um, one of the political parties once wanted to leave a voter's guide on our table out, out front here. And I'm not specifically opposed to that, I just want it to be honest. Understand? And that particular newspaper was evaluating candidates based on a pro-life, you know, perspective, which I respect. I have a pro-life perspective. But the problem is there were a whole lot of issues that weren't on that paper. You understand? Because there's a whole lot more to a pro-life perspective than just opposing abortion. I think we're all opposed to abortion. But the whole idea of life being sacred doesn't just mean that only unborn life is sacred. All life is sacred. So if we're gonna care about life, we gotta care about like all people and their life. And not just whether or not they actually live, like whether they got breath in their lungs. We have to be concerned about the quality of their life. Jesus' purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So we have to care. I mean, we absolutely have to care about people. We have to care. So the young woman in a crisis pregnancy who's not sure if she wants to keep her baby, you know, what are the questions that she's asking? Now She's asking, what am I going to do with the baby? She's asking, who's going to be there for me if I have this baby? How am I going to pay for this baby? I mean, there's so many questions that go into that crisis, you understand? And as pro-life believers, I think our job is to promise her that we'll be there. We'll be there. We should care about her life. We should care about her crisis. We should care about her baby, not just that it gets born, but that that baby is able through Christ to enjoy a rich and satisfying life. I mean, do you understand? I'm not being political. I'm trying to be biblical. Pro-life from womb to tomb means once babies are born, then we care about their education and we care about their health care. We should be very, very concerned about people living in poverty I mean, if we really say that we care about human life, that every life is sacred, that the breath in their lungs is holy, if we really believe that, then we cannot be indifferent to the suffering of people. We have to care about poverty. We have to care about all kinds of issues that people struggle with. We cannot just walk around saying that we care about life, but in reality, we don't care about anybody but ourselves. That is not being pro-life. It's not being biblical, and it's certainly not following after the principles of Jesus. Understand? that This commandment doesn't just forbid us from killing people. Because of Jesus, it requires us to run in the direction of everybody who needs help to live. Everybody who needs to find this rich and satisfying, abundant life that Christ has. We have to care about people. I mean, right now in our day, in this very moment, there literally are. I know you hear it talked about, but there really are children being warehoused on our nation's border. And both political parties talk about it, but they only talk about it insofar as they can blame the other group for, for the fact that they're there. But nobody cares about it. Nobody cares. Has any church, you know, sent a mission trip down to care for those children? No, because in our nation, those children are mostly political pawns. Nobody really cares about them. There are children in warehouses on our border without their parents, and you can say, well, they're illegal or what you can call it. You can explain it you want. But do you care about them? Do you care that they're there? Do you care about the life that they're going to live? Do you care about the nations where they've come from and why anybody would be fleeing nations in numbers like that? I mean, all of these are questions that as God's people, we should ask and we should care about. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about life and the fact that it's sacred. It's sacred. Every life. Every life. Matters to God. Scripture says that he knits us each together in our mother's womb. That's beautiful. That just means mama's in Haiti and mama's in Indonesia and mama's all across the continent of Africa and mama's in every neighborhood in the United States. I mean, God himself knits those babies together in their mother's womb. and When those babies are born, God continues to keep note of the number of the hairs on their head. The scripture says he has every day of their life written out in his book. I mean, do you understand the value of a single life to God? Do you understand that he knows us all personally, not just you? He does know you, but he knows everybody else. He loves you, but not just you. He loves everybody else. He loves all the people that you're not sure you even like. He loves them, and they are just as important to him as you are. Children on the border, you better believe it, legal, illegal, it doesn't matter. They're all valuable to God. Every single one, gay, straight, gender dysphoria, whatever you want to say. I mean, you may have trouble loving these people. God has no trouble loving people. All people, their lives are sacred. Whether they make you uncomfortable, their lives are sacred to God. I know this is difficult for some of us to hear because we're not used to thinking like this. We like to draw lines as if some lives matter more than other lives, but there are no lines to draw except this one. Jesus draws a line. He says there's sort of two sides here. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. Life is sacred, Every person is sacred before God. Understand, the love of Jesus compels you to protect the lives of others and to help their lives to flourish. Jesus' love compels you to protect the lives of others. It is not okay that you don't care. It's not all right that, that you sometimes see people and you struggle to, to figure out if you love them or not. Of course you're going to love, because Jesus' love compels you to love. It's not just that you want to see people live. You want to see to it that they flourish, that they enjoy a life abundant, because that's what Jesus wants. So all those people, you know, that say, yeah, you know, I live by the Ten Commandments, you know, like I never killed anybody. Do you understand? That's not even the beginning of what this commandment calls us to. Life is sacred. Life is sacred. The very first murder recorded in human history, of course, is in the Bible. It is in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain killed his brother Abel. What happened? The moment that his life was taken, the scripture says, his blood cried out from the ground to the Lord. Interesting. His blood cried out to God. The God who made him. The God who breathed the breath of life into his lungs. The God before whom he lived and the God before whom he died. His blood cried out from the ground. Just amazing to think about. The fact that every single person lives and dies before the same God who made us all. Do you think about that? Do you think about that? When you walk past the homeless in the city of Bowling Green, and they're becoming more and more numerous. I sit in my car now around town in different places, and I've had panhandlers come and knock on the window of my car. This is Bowling Green. You you know that man's life matters every bit as much as my life matters, if not to me, to God. The fact that I have so much and he has so little, that matters to God. And you can say, well, Pastor Tim, there are reasons why he's poor and you're not poor. You know, you work and he doesn't, and of course there are reasons, but all of those reasons do not change the calculation that our lives are of equal worth to the God who made us both. The drag queens, the transsexuals, gays, lesbians, all of the different races that you're not sure that you like, well, all the people and all the nations of all the world, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every life, sacred. It matters that they don't all have enough food to eat. It matters that they don't all have shelter. It matters that they don't all have clean water. It matters that they haven't heard the gospel. It matters. It matters to God. And the fact that it doesn't always matter to you and to me, that says something profoundly troubling about our hearts, especially when we claim to follow Jesus. Jesus' love compels you, compels me to protect the lives of others and to help their lives to flourish. His love compels us. So Cain killed his brother Abel, right? His blood cried out from the ground to God. And what happened next? Remember the story? So God came and he said to Cain, he said, what? Where is your brother? And what did Cain say? Am I am I my brother's keeper? The most famous questions in all of scripture am I my brother's keeper? Now when Cain says it he thought that was a rhetorical question, right? He thought that he would ask that question and he thought the obvious question would be the answer would be no, of course or not. You know, your brother was a full-grown man. Your brother was responsible for himself. Your brother should have studied self-defense. He should have taken taekwondo. Your brother should have been watching over his back. I mean, are you, are, are my brother's keeper? You, you think the, the answer should be no, no, no. Everybody's on their own. Let people take care of themselves. Let them get jobs. Let them do what we've done. Let, let, let them work hard. You know, I mean, that's the sort of our mentality. Let everybody take care of themselves. I'll take care of myself. You take care of yourself. And, and that's sort of the, the human way of looking at the world, right? Everybody's kind of on their own. That is not the Christian way of looking at the world. It's not the way of Christ. Uh, I mean, understand, the the bottom line is you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. We have an obligation to one another. We absolutely do. It is not that everybody's on their own. That's not the world in which God calls us to live, And, and it's not the gospel of Jesus. It is not that everybody's on their own. I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking about what the government should do. I'm talking about what God's people should do. Not talking about what anybody else should do and be. I'm talking about what we're supposed to do and be. And we're supposed to care about people. We're supposed to care about their lives. Not just that they live, but that they live abundantly. That they live in a a way where where there's fairness and, and, and justice. I mean, it just makes sense, you all. It is not right that we have so much and others have so little. We should not be indifferent to their suffering. Cain asked the question and here's the answer. Yes, you are the keeper of others. You are responsible. We're obligated to care. We're obligated to help. It's not enough just that we let them live on the same planet we live on. We're supposed to care about the quality of their lives. Jesus says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and live it to the full. So that becomes our mission, to make sure that people have life. We should protect their lives. We should protect the lives of the unborn. There's nobody in the world that can stand up for an infant that can't stand up for itself. We have to care. We have to do everything that we can for the unborn. But understand, this sanctity of life, it's, it's from womb to tomb. We have to care about people at every single stage of life. The, the, the old folks who were forgotten, the old folks who were sick, the old folks who were at the very end of their life. I mean, we have to care about people from womb to tomb. That's, that's the sanctity of every human life. I know the federal government has, you know, a a calculus for trying to decide how much your life is worth. $10 million. Do you want to know what a single person is worth? Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you understand Jesus himself died. He gave his blood, the blood of Jesus, for the salvation of every single soul. So if you want to talk about what a soul is worth, then you have to talk about the life of Jesus. The life of God's one and only son, given in exchange for every single soul that's ever lived. Do you want to know the value of a soul to God? The blood of Jesus. It's infinite worth. Do you want to know what you are worth? Much, much more than $10 million to the government, to the Lord God, you are a soul of infinite worth. You are and everybody else. I know the sixth commandment seems simple and you've always thought, well, I ain't killed nobody today. It's not just enough not to kill people. Jesus says that he's come to give them life and to see that they can live it to the full. If that was Jesus's purpose, that's our purpose too. So Jesus' love sends you in the direction of anybody who needs help to live and needs help to live it to the full. Pray with me. Lord, we just have so much trouble seeing people the way you see people. Or well, we just kind of assume that those who have more money, they must be worth more. We just sort of assume, Lord, that those who look like us, who talk like us, they they must somehow be smarter. That they must somehow matter more to you because they go to churches like ours and sing the same songs that we sing. Lord, we just sort of assume that somehow saved people must be worth more than lost people to you. But, Lord, that's not how any of this works, Lord. The Scripture says that you love the world. That it's not in any way your pleasure that anybody should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. It's you, oh Jesus, that says that you don't just want people to live, but you want people to live a, a an abundant quality of life, Lord. Life lived to the full. Lord, most of us in this house are really concerned that our lives be full. We want that abundance for ourselves, Lord. And and honestly, we can hardly get enough, but our hearts are very hard and cold toward others who don't have what we have, toward others who can't possibly reach for what we can reach for, Lord. We Call ourselves believers, Lord Jesus, but we seem to have an indifference toward the suffering of others that is very unchristian. So God, help us. Help us today, first off, Lord, to recognize what our own lives are worth, what we're worth to you. Lord, some of us in this room have never been necessarily special to anybody in the whole world, Lord, but help us to understand that we're special to you, that you call us by name. You care about our lives. Lord, every person in the sound of my voice, let them understand that they are special to you, of infinite worth to you. And knowing that, Lord, help us to remember that every other person our enemies. Those who don't look like us, those who don't talk like us, those who do not have what we have, those who do not live where we live, Lord, every single person is of that same infinite worth to you. Lord God, we do not have eyes that see. We do not have minds that can think. We do not have hearts that can love the way you love. But Lord Jesus, if you would give us your eyes, if you would help us to think your thoughts, if you would put your love in our hearts, Lord, then you could send us out to go love the world. So Lord... Send us out to go love the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who died for us and for the world. Amen.